Hello, welcome back in. Thank you so much for listening. This is the podcast Builder vs. Buyer, and I'm the host, Adam Steiner. This podcast is dedicated to the home building industry in some small way, hopefully making it better through advice and education for both builders and buyers. Today, I got to bring on my dad, Dan Steiner. Um, Got my start in the industry from him and... It was fun to sit back down all these years later and talk about everything that went on in those early days and um, starting the company and building something together. So without further ado, here's my dad. Well, hello. Welcome in. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, my father, Dan Steiner. Um, Dan owns a home building company in Northwest Indiana, Steiner Homes, building about, what, 30 to 40 a year? 40 a year. Um, most of those are off-site, semi-custom to custom. Um, yeah, Dad, thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Happy um, to be here. Thank you. Um, so I thought what would be fun, I, you have a ton of insight on the building world and, and all that, but I thought it would be fun for today to talk about just our origin stories. Um, so your company's origin story is very close to mine. Um, in the, I think it was January of 2006, I'm studying civil engineering at Purdue. I get a call from you. Hey, can you come home this weekend? We got, we got a lot to go over. Um, so you had just been bought out of your company, had a a no compete in the county that you were building. I think they left you with two deals, if I remember. Um, and it's 2006. So there's a storm coming in the building industry. Like, what in that first moment, like when you were calling me, what was going through your head? Like what was going through your head in like building a home building company? Well, I was kind of freaking out and <clears throat> I did have some good working fundamentals of what I felt like I needed to do to survive. I had the two leads that I did have, both of those fell through. I never got them. So basically, I was starting from scratch in a county that I didn't have one single license in, and uh, it was a pretty scary obstacle, and uh, at the same time, I was sick, and I was laying flat on my back, and I'm downstairs reading a marketing book, and I remember distinctly Valerie coming downstairs and saying, you need to get to work. You need to get off your butt and get out and start building the house. And I said, but I am working. And we kind of had a bad fight about it. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, that was the start of something really good. And I was learning how to uh, market on Google. And I feel like I beat a lot of the builders to the punch. And I got in real early. I got a lot of keywords in. Come to find out after many, many years (laughs) that some of those keywords were keywords that actually hurting me. But... I put, a, I put 155 keywords in, into Google personally, and I started up my Google machine, and I was kind of shocked at people that were looking at Google, but not only looking, responding to it, and I started to get leads that were coming out of the clear blue, and as I would go into each <laughs> special town in Lake County where it was always fun to get a license, <laughs> you seemed like you had to know what someone or do something to get a license. And it was a really hard thing, but we'd get a license and we, we would sell a house and 
And I'd call Adam and he'd say, Dad, I got a test tomorrow. And I'd say, Adam, I really need this house design. <laughs> I'm not going to be alive in two weeks. And Adam was pretty yeoman about it and always came through and drew me the next house so we could uh, sell it and, and build for people. So we kind of, we started like that and it was pretty amazing just how quickly our company grew through marketing and you know, through actually building a good home too. You have to really focus. If you're going to market yourself, to me, the first thing you have to do is market something that's a good product, that's really a good product and a good value. And if you look people in the eye and you mean what you say and you build a good product, people will come. And so it's actually grown since then. We've been through a lot of highs and lows. And I went through a very low in my life, uh, which was really bad for me, but it changed who I was and it changed what I am. And I had to do a lot of counseling and stuff. But once I went through counseling, it, it helped me become a better man. And I, I, uh, I'm very thankful. I feel like I was saved and God kind of did a miracle in my life. And because of that, I ended up on the other side, and I, I love working with my kids. We work, my wife works with me, and four of our kids work with us, and a son-in-law work with us. One of my daughters does a little bit of marketing out of Texas for us, but the other three are actively involved in the company. It's just really fun and really special to do that. Yeah, yeah, it is fun. I, I feel like that's something, I mean, as a home designer, that's something we're talking about often is floor plans and designs and like <laughs> even thinking back to those early days like I feel like the the first thing I noticed that you knew you needed to do was marketing and you're like so great at that and figured out like a channel you could do out of value which is like Google AdWords in 2006 was like right on the money um, and then and then I also realized and I, I like felt the pressure in a good way like you knew you needed to have a great product and that meant like great home designs. And so there was a lot, there was a lot of work, especially early on back then of like, I almost like, I don't care what the floor plan is right now. Like it's got to look good. And if it doesn't look good, we can't sell it. Like what was it? Do you remember that? Do you remember that being like just an early thought? Oh yeah. We, and, and the fun thing is my wife and I, when we first started in the business, well, I started in the business with Valerie's uh, dad, and that was 40, actually 43 years ago now. But I started with him, and I learned all the aspects of building because I did them. My father-in-law was old Swedish builder, and so we did all the aspects of building, and I learned a ton, and I, I learned a lot from him. And so my wife and I, when we went to Florida one time with our kids, which we did every year, uh, we were coming back through, and we said, let's stop in Nashville and, and just look at houses and stuff. So we went through one of the houses in, in Nashville, Opryland or something, and we looked at each other and we said, this is what we want to do. We don't want to build cookie cutter homes. We want to build something that's very unique and attractive and fun to build. And uh, that's kind of what started it all. So ever since then, even to like this, this day, actually today, most of the day, Adam and I and his sister and his brother have sat around and mom too have sat around and looked at houses and redesigned the fronts of houses and just making them look really cool and something that people would be like, oh, I love that house because it has character 
it's unique, it's unique to me. And then the floor plan, we spend time on that too because it's really important that it flows well, that it feels good. Uh, we joke around that people would come in and say, well, I want something kind of different. I want kind of, uh, I know it's a little bit different, but the open concept. And we <laughs> smile because everybody in the world wants an open concept these days. Yeah. But, but we spend a lot of time on the inside as well, but make it look really cool too. You know, we, we have headers over our doors and windows, and we have wide casing. And, you know, we haven't gone the way of a lot of people of sheetrock wrapping the windows and minimal base, minimal casing, doors that aren't cool, windows that, you know, aren't big and bright and go all over the house. And, you know, ceramic tile and wood flooring and all those old traditional things that people really love and that they warm up to. They walk in our house and they're like, oh yeah, I want this. And that was always our intention to build something where you look at the outside of the house and you're like, I wanna go in there. And you walk in that house and then you say, oh wow, this is incredible. So mm -hmm. I spend a lot of time mentally right at the front door. Before I even go inside, I'm like, what does it look like standing at the front door? And if I'm not convinced it looks great, I scratch it. Yeah. I scrap it, I should say, but you know, and lots of times, those houses that are designed where the ranch, you come in the middle, and it's a dark hallway to the front door, and then you walk down a dark hallway to get to the main part of the house, I just don't have any design like that, because I just don't feel like there's any wow to it. So Yeah, you've made me change a few of those. <laughs> yeah, which ultimately I think is the right call, but yeah. 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 Um, talk to me a little bit. So... I think most builders come to the standard features of dollars and cents, like let's provide val the most bang for the buck value for our clients. And working with you, like I feel like you and mom really had a, really had a strong grasp on that, but it wasn't it was not so much a value discussion in your mind. Like there's a lot of things you guys include as standard features that are included in all the prices of the houses that. Um, not necessarily every builder, especially like production builders, aren't aren't doing. But it seemed more emotional to me, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. why why was it so important for you? Well, I don't feel like I've ever been dollar-driven so much as a builder as I want to build a product that people love. Obviously, we have to make money. And obviously, I've probably never made as much money as I could or should and, you know, I've always believed in taking my kids on vacation a couple of times a year and spending lots of times with my kids and, you know, uh, just enjoying family and it, making a house that families enjoy and people enjoy living in. So I, I would say that it's fun to put your heart into something that you love to build. And we don't see that as much in this culture. And so I think our product stands out very uniquely because now when a customer comes in, they sit down with me and my sons and we design a house in front of them. And I think they see the love, the passion, you know, the, the coolness of creating and designing your own home. I think a lot of people see that and desire it. And they see that, you know, obviously I have to make money, but that the dollar isn't my driving force per se in what I do. And I, mm -hmm. I really want to build a fun product. Yeah. And I feel like we have built a really fun product. And, you know, and, and the rest follows. I, I feel like we've been raising our prices lately. And, you know, I don't feel like we've missed a beat. 
I need to actually the last couple of years I haven't made enough and the banks have been on me saying you need to make some more money so you know <laughs> <laughs> but we have a really good product where we can make a little bit more money and that's we're excited about that too but our driving force I feel like is always build a house that's really cool and I feel like our kids enjoy that same passion so yeah. it's really fun to, for us to all be together and do that yeah you know um, what would you say is the biggest the biggest misperception that clients have walking in the door? Like, what do you wish your clients knew about either you or the home building industry? Like, Well, I would say the thing that I've learned over the years, because I did some things that were like not the best, like maybe picking carpet or not the best wood floor, but not the best window for the money. I did. I thought they were the best at the time, but they weren't. But every five years, I tell people, every five years, I'm a better builder than I was the five years before. Hmm. And that's what I really want people to understand is I'm a different builder than I was even 15 years ago because I have learned anything that I put in that I have warranty issues in, I'm not putting it in anymore. I will do whatever it takes to make and give product to people that they're not going to have to change in five years, that they're not going to walk on their carpet in four years and be feeling like they're walking right on plywood, you know, and I can fool people. Any builder can fool people. And that's where if you're not dollar driven, then people are like, oh, he didn't fool me with the carpet. I'm not walking mm -hmm. on plywood in four years, you know. And, and so I think people need to say, is this person putting a product in that I'm going to love? And that's not going to fall apart on me in three or four years. And a lot of our culture is that way. We buy a lot of product and we're like, well, it's going to last a year. That's all I could expect out of it. You know, and so understanding and saying, is this builder a better builder than he was five years ago? Or is he just a cheaper builder? You know, and I, I, that, when people, I think, kind of grasp that, I think they're really happy with that. Like, just lately, this year, we just in the last few months, we've gone to an all-wood cabinet. I don't know of really any semi-custom builders that offer as their standard package an all-wood cabinet. Dovetail drawers, easy clothes. But we feel like in the long run, it's going to be something that people are like, going to be like, wow, that's really cool. And it held up really well for me, which mm -hmm. it will hold up because yeah. it's an all-wood cabinet. You know, so I, I, think, I think that's a big thing that I hope customers know and feel and experience with us, you know, that we're out there to be a builder that they're going to love. And that if my kids ever take over the business or whoever, that they have that same kind of passion, you know, desire to build something that's going to last and be good and say, this builder's better than he was five years ago. And he's mm. twice as good as he was 10 years ago. And, yeah. you know, 15. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I think there's maybe not a ton, but some builders out there or um, architects and designers that like to get into building, you know, that do the, the two to five a year and, would see somebody like you that grows it. Like what kind of challenges, what are the, how do the challenges change from running a smaller company to something a little bigger? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I have those answers yet. <laughs> uh, I, one thing I know, I'm not a production guy. Okay. But I need a production guy that's over what we build. So you have to have the right people in the right places and the willingness to either move them or let them go and let them find a job that might be better suited for. But um, 
have uh, for me I need to have because I'm more sales marketing oriented more design oriented than I am production oriented I have to have the right person and I, I feel very strongly that I've been blessed with a great guy that's really good at production you know and that when that house when he walks out of that house that punch list is done and those people are walking in saying oh my gosh house yeah that's a great feel yeah and they don't they won't they wouldn't get that product from if I walked it all the way through. So a builder that does two to five, he's doing production probably really well, but he's probably not selling or marketing or enabling himself to grow. And so you have to be able to reproduce or produce people that can produce in the right way. Yeah. Project managers. Every project manager you hire is critical to who you are. Mm -hmm. Do they care? Do they look at all the details? Do they make sure those studs are straight? Do they make the floors, make sure the floor is level? Do you know, there's, we, in our company, I didn't create hardly any of it, but our company, after the, even just the rough framing, we have a seven page punch list of things that that project manager has to go through to make sure that house is ready wow. for rough-ins to go through, you know, and then he has those same punch lists after rough-ins of your mechanicals all go in, then there's another punch list like that. So it's like, I have really good production people who produce really good <laughs> check, checklists that if you follow them right, if you care, if your heart's there, then you're going to produce something. So I think learning how to replicate yourself and or finding the good people to fit in. Obviously, financially, my wife does the books and she's really good at it. I mean, it's hard for me to understand how she can do 30 to 40 homes a year all by herself mm -hmm. and do them and do them well, but she does, which is quite incredible. But you have to have someone that's competent financially and someone that you can completely trust. I mean, if you can't trust them, you're in big trouble. And you have to have checks and balances in on everybody. You know, we have to have, you have to have good checks and balances on the people that you hire because things go bad sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd say you guys are also unique in that, I mean, there are other on your lot builders out there that are, that are bigger, um, but not many. Usually builders that get big are production builders that take down a tract of land and put, you know, six to eight floor plans and build it out. And it, it, that type of building has its own challenges, but in experiencing both, I frankly feel like it's a little easier than the on your lot stuff. What are some challenges you find in the on your lot that wouldn't necessarily be there in the production? Oh world? my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> uh, well, I hold 27 different licenses in Northwest Indiana. Wow. 27 for towns, communities, unincorporated areas. So everyone. For a note for the podcast, you only build in like, what, a 45-minute hour radius? Yeah, yeah. Like, that's not a giant land area. No, not a big <laughs> that you're land covering. area. Huh. Right, and we're pulling in on that, actually. But but when you carry 27 different licenses, there's, everybody has their own little fiefdom, and everybody wants something a different way. So yeah. you have to have people that are flexible, can accommodate, and willing to learn willing to get on websites and say, what does this city expect? What do they look for? You have to be diligent in understanding what you have to build and how you build it in each one of those communities. And you have to be able to be prepared ahead of time with your salespeople to say, this building permit over in St. John in Valparaiso, it cost me five grand. In St. John, that same building permit's gonna cost 15 or 16,000 dollars. 
you have to know those things as a salesperson. Otherwise, you lose your shirt going in. You've already lost 10000 of your profit. If you Yeah, know. that's very hard to get from the client after you've signed. Absolutely. <laughs> it's very hard. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that you have to be prepared to work at and know. Yeah. To, you know, to sell the house, first of all, and then to carry it out. You know, this building inspector, we, we're very fortunate in that we have the the toughest inspectors probably in the country in a couple of the cities we're in because everything else is easy. Once we get our trades acclimated to going to their standards, which are extremely high, mm-hmm. we build a good product Yeah, day in and day out because the people know what it, what's expected of them and they perform that every day. Yeah. Therefore, if, if we can get our trades to hold to those things, then it's really good. Same thing with trades. You have to have your trades let them be a little bit flexible so that they know, oh, this inspector wants it this way. Uh, for instance, just so you give an illustration, some of these cities that we're in, they make you take your sump pump out of your basement and put it into your storm system. If you do that in other cities, they'll fine you massively for it. So, <laughs> so you have to yeah. know which city where, where you take your sump pump and either pump it out the back or you put it in the storm sewer. There's just a lot of things like right. that. You yeah, know, that you have to. Like so it's, there's a lot of flexibility and a lot, a lot of openness in saying, I'm willing to learn, I'm willing to get on a website, you know, and find out what I have to do to be different. And then what you need for a customer. Like we build in, oh, I don't know how many different subdivisions, probably 50, maybe 60 different subdivisions. Every one of them has, has different covenants and restrictions. So you have to know those covenants and restrictions and you have to say to the customer, they need 40% brick or stone around the whole house or, you know, yeah. they want this type of siding. So all those things you have to be prepared for to price out and then to be prepared to carry out, you know, with those those people, you know, even to the point of landscaping. Some people say we want all the trees in that area between the curb and the back of the sidewalk, which... <laughs> quite sidebar is quite ironical since you have all your utilities in there to plant trees in there the root, root system to destroy them all 10 years later is kind of ironical but yeah. <laughs> yeah. you'd be amazed how many cities make you do that you know or they won't let you put the trees in there or you know just a right. multitude of things like right. that there's a lot of little stuff yeah. um one thing you're also i didn't hear you mention but you're also really great at is the the site analysis i think with with offsite builds, it's like so critical. Like we were saying earlier, it's there's so much money in dirt. Whether you have too much, don't have enough, have the wrong type, um, you name it. There, there's ways. There's a million ways to lose money. Um, how? What do you guys do to like well, help we, help yourselves and the clients work through that? That's good. We we have what we call the net zero factor in a in a lot. When we walk on a lot, I have an in-house engineer that does all this. When he walks on a lot, he says, net zero means I don't have to haul any dirt off. I don't have to bring any dirt in. I have to bring the minimal amount of sand in for the garage floor and the minimal amount of stone in for the driveway. Uh, Okay, anything above that or below that is extra cost. So if we have to bring 30 loads of dirt in and... That dirt can cost me anywhere from $80 a load to $450 a load, depending on how far away I have to go to get it, either take it or, or bring it back. 
Mm-hmm. So you need to know those things. Once again, with a customer, you try to tell them that later, they're like, no, thank you. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I right. already paid you. <laughs> right. So, so you need to know that. So we, we work off a net zero factor, you know, tree clearing, lot dropping off, daylight windows. If you have daylight windows on there, you need to account for that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, walkout basement. We have a set number. It's a walkout basement. It's automatically $13,800, you know, and, uh, just things like that so that when we get to that lot, we're not caught off guard and having to spend 15 grand more than we should have, you know, because we didn't do our due diligence before we put that house on that lot. And even it goes back to cities. Sometimes the cities say, I want that, the garage floor to be two feet above the top of the curb. Sometimes it has to be four feet. You know, you have to know those yeah. things before you come in because that, that dictates how much dirt you bring in. Mm-hmm. You know, if your house is four feet above the curb, you're bringing more dirt in. Mm-hmm. And that zero effect goes changes. Yeah, so. yeah. And um, you're, you've been doing this so long, you do most of this with your eye. Um, but for those starting out, the Minnesota, up in Minneapolis, when we hire our surveyors, they would always do a cut-fill analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a good thing. Like if you can ask your surveyor engineer for that, that's a really good way to help you get started and start looking at those and paying attention to those because that those numbers are crucial. That's that's what you're saying. The cut fill yes, is that's right. Cut fill is completely balanced. That net zero, right? Um, so yeah, if, if if it's really imbalanced, you've got a you've got a tricky site and you need to do some more digging. Yeah. Um, either way. Yeah. Even moving it on site, say you don't have to take it off, but you got to move. There's a ton of it in the back and hardly anything in the front. You got to move all that. Yeah. So you you're paying to somebody to do it. Yeah. 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 Well, that we we are fortunate these days, and I'm probably, I don't know if Minnesota has it, but we have what we call GIS now, and it's... Some it, counties do. It's by okay. county, yeah. Yeah, and we, we're fortunate we have it all over northwest Indiana, but we can go online. We don't even really need to go out to the site because it'll give you the elevations. It's flown over by LIDAR, and it tells you all the elevations yeah. on that lot. So we, my son and I can pull it up online. My other son, <laughs> Zach. We yeah, pulled up online and we can we can figure that that fill you know line that net zero right there without mm. even going on the lot. Although yeah, we do great. like to look at the lot anyway. Yeah. Um, but that 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 helps you when you look at GIS. Say, oh, okay, this is what I have to do. Right. And then you have to make sure you look at wetlands maps and floodplain maps. You yeah. know, you have to coordinate all those, and because we build in. Everywhere in Northwest Indiana, we need to better know your floodplain areas and yeah. your wetland areas. You know, you could get in them where you tell the customer, "Oh, go ahead and buy the lot," and then half of it's wetlands and you don't know it. You know, usually I know when we pull up, but it's not something that's automatically seen. You can have right. canary reed in there and not even know that that's considered wetland area. Mm-hmm. You know, canary reed is a certain invasive grass. It's a wetland grass. Yeah, it could kill you. I lost a lot that was worth ninety thousand dollars. You know, wow. <laughs> that didn't feel good. Yeah, I actually have um, some checklists posted on my website for some of these sites. If you go to burnham.com slash resources, uh, sorry, burnhamdesign.com, B-I-R-N-A-M design.com slash resources. So I put a checklist of the floodplain mappers and all that for people to look up if they are curious on their sites. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's important. You yeah, it is. These days. <laughs> and, and just so you don't ever try to fool uh, the... Army Corps of Engineers with wetlands and all. Uh, Army Corps of Engineers now flies almost every property in this country five times a year. 
So if they see wow. that you have a tractor out there and you're pushing dirt into a pond that's showing it as a wetland, you could be in real trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so, for real. It, it's, it's harder to pull one over on the government than it used to be. So mm-hmm. you, you just need to make sure you're doing the right thing. Wow. And, you know. <laughs> well, cool. I think we could probably talk about building all day. Yeah. But um, we'll, uh, we'll cut this one here. Maybe some more from, from my fun. dad later. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dad. Um, Steiner Homes, where can people find you, how they reach out? Uh, SteinerHomesLTD.com, S-T-E-I-N-E-R, HomesLTD.com. I'm Dan at SteinerHomesLTD.com. Awesome. You guys are on Facebook, Instagram. Facebook, Instagram. All that fun stuff. You do, do a lot on Facebook. So I'll put those links in the show notes, but yeah. Thanks for coming on, Dad. Thank you, Adam. It was fun. Anytime. (laughs) As always, thank you so much for listening. I think you guys know the drill. Please subscribe, rate, and review. Um, If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, you can also get it on a lot of other platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that fun stuff. Um, If you'd like to reach out to me, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Facebook and Instagram, it is at Burnham Design Co., B-I-R-N-A-M, Design Co., and LinkedIn is my name, Adam Steiner, S-T-E-I-N-E-R. Thank you so much for listening. Please reach out, and we will talk to you soon. And thanks, as always, to Andrew Michael Metter for the music.